As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. We are coming to you from St. Paul, Minnesota. Actually, we're in Minneapolis. It's late. We were just in St. Paul. The U.S. men's national team played a game there. You may have heard about it. It was a little bit cold, but the result was left the U.S. feeling very warm. It was a 3-0 win against Honduras. Comfortable, comfortable result for the U.S. that puts them one big step closer to qualifying for the World Cup. Pretty much a home win against Panama in their last game on American soil of the octagonal will, will most likely be enough to get them there. So they got what they needed. It was a weird game. The weather, I think, was the was the dominant player um, for either side. Um, a couple of Hondurans were reportedly uh, being treated for hypothermia at halftime. Um, coldest match in USMNT history, game time temperature in the air of two degrees with a real feel, depending on which app you're using anywhere from what Paul yours was negative two. I think mine was negative 14. <laughs> so those, those are kind of all over the place. Regardless, it was freezing. Um, but the USMNT survived. They persevered three set piece goals. And now we're on to the final window and they're in a good spot. What did you think of the match? Yeah, I thought it was exactly what the U.S. hoped it would be in the sense that they came out, they got an early goal, and that settled everything down, settled the nerves, settled the tension, put, I think, Honduras very quickly into a place of not wanting to be there, gave the U.S. confidence, and and they were in control the whole way through. We knew the U.S. was a better team than Honduras. We knew that they were uh, a team that should win. The question was, would the U.S. be able to play the way they wanted to in the cold weather, and I think they did that. Um, so, in general, I thought it was a strong performance against a bad team. They scored on three set pieces, which is really important for a U.S. team that hadn't scored on set pieces in their previous 10 games. But even though all three goals came on set pieces, I thought they created opportunities through the run of play. I thought they had control of the ball. It was a good performance. I, ultimately, Honduras was not good. They did no. not look like they adapted to the cold weather. 
and understandably so. It wasn't just cold. It was ridiculous outside. And, you know, the U.S. takes the result and they move on to March knowing that a win against Mexico at the Azteca with a little help from Panama and Costa Rica would be enough to send them to the World Cup. They're in, they're in a pretty good spot going into the final window. They're not there yet. They're in a pretty good spot. Yeah, they should be there, right? If, if things hold true to form, I, I think we'll we'll be going to Qatar in November. You and I recording allocation disorders from the Middle East, which will be a whole different experience. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't really disagree with anything you said. It wasn't the prettiest game. That's fair to say. The field was not great, um, and I don't want to bag on on the Minnesota United groundskeepers. It's February in Minnesota. Of course, the field wasn't great. Um, but that slowed things down for the U.S. You know, Paul, in the press box, you were sort of commenting on how it looked like Tim Weah didn't have his usual burst out there. And and I thought that was an astute observation on your part. You know, I, I thought that it there were some plays in the buildup, particularly in the first half, where they were just a little bit off with their passing in the final third. Plays that they would normally, in my opinion, complete. They weren't completing, and I, I put that down a little bit to the weather and to the field conditions. Um, I thought it got a little bit smoother in the second, um, but overall, the conditions definitely had an impact on on just kind of how the U.S. played and how they were able to progress the ball forward. It wasn't a huge, huge one, but it played a factor for sure. Well, I think part of it, too, for me was in the second half. The reason that I think the U.S. got better as the game went on, partly because I think the opponent shrunk as the game went on, as it got they colder. Folded. They folded. And and also, I think there were some players that were gaining confidence. So, Luca De La Torre, I thought, was very good in the second half, driving the ball forward, trying to push the game. You know, it got to a point where it looked like, I don't know the right way to say this. I think anyone who's played the game has been in one of those games where you know you're in charge of the game, that the opponent's not going to yeah. do anything to really threaten you. They're not really... Ever, like, unless they get lucky, like, they're not really going to threaten you. And so you yeah. start to try stuff. You start to just believe that you can get away with whatever. You play with confidence. Yeah. Well, I just felt like that's how the U.S. was playing in the second half. Like, they believed that they could push the game and that they could drive forward and dribble past people. And, you know, they were – you saw kind of a lot of the same patterns and ideas – trying to get the ball into the box or trying to create in the final third. And you're right. Like it, it didn't come off every time, but it just felt super comfortable. And yeah. I think, you know, they had two goals and I, I, I don't remember if I said this out loud to you, Sam, or if I was just thinking it, but like, I was like, man, they just need to get a third goal because at you two nothing, loud. Yeah, at, at two nothing, anything could happen with Albert Elise. Like, you know, you don't want that weird freakish goal to happen. And then you have to be nervous that game was like, this is a 3 nothing game. Like, Just get the third goal so that everyone can just chill out. And it happened. Christian Pulisic came in. It happened in probably the best way possible. Yeah. Christian Pulisic came in and got a goal. Helped his confidence probably. The fact that he was coming off the bench, not the greatest thing in the world. And they walk out of here, you know, like I said, in a good position, relatively good position considering all things considered, you know, yeah. Yeah. what they could control in this window. Absolutely. So one thing that I wanted to ask you about, and one thing that I think is worth discussing about this match, is just how much we can actually take away from it. You know, considering A, the conditions, right? Considering B, the opponent. Because Honduras, they started the match, they were in a 4-4-2, they were compact, but they gave up a, a set-piece goal to Weston McKenney, who I thought, like, 
somewhat serendipitously on on Tuesday was joking about his big head <laughs> um, after our buddy Danny Nora from Univision asked him about heading a hard ball in cold weather and what that might be like. He's like, yeah, I got a big head. I'm not worried about it. Eighth minute of the match, great header, I got to say. He was not close. Um, big head Wes. Big, big head, head Wes. Um, to put the U.S. ahead. And from that point, the game was basically over. <laughs> you know, the U.S. was in control. Honduras had really nothing. Matt Turner... Poor guy. He was running around back there. They took away his hand warmer in the second minute. <laughs> he was running around with his hands in his pants, running to the sideline, draping himself in a blanket. He, Paul, you or I could have played goalkeeper, and, and it would have been a shutout tonight for the U.S. Um, that's just kind of how that match went. Um, so how much do you think we can we can take away from this one? No, I mean, not a lot. I, You know, I don't know. To be full disclosure here, it's it's midnight on thursday now sam you've already filed your story i still haven't filed mine yet you know and and in today's game the task for writing our our stories was that you were going to write kind of more game specific i tried to take a bigger picture look and i'm 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 having trouble finding the bigger picture here because there i don't want to take too much out of this but i also don't want to to devalue it too much either because they needed a result they needed they, a, they needed yeah. a win and they went and got it and they put themselves in really good position to qualify for a world cup which is the most important thing but we still don't know who this team is really in my opinion you know this is kind of the point i'm trying to get to in this piece i'm trying to find the right way to say it the right way to to lay it all out there which is there there hasn't been any sort of momentum across this entire qualification cycle you know, the first 11 games of qualification, there hasn't really been multiple performances in a row where things have gone really well. I don't think a clear identifiable style in any win that has been all of these wins that have kind of worked together. You know, even Greg Berhalter was asked today, um, tonight after the game, you know, is there something that's, that he can point to that's worked in the, in the positive results and been not there in the negative results. And he didn't really have anything he could put his finger on. So what do I take out of tonight? I think it was really important that this team showed that they know how to respond when their backs are against the wall. I think it was the first time since halftime in Honduras against the same opponent that they felt that there was a real, real pressure there to get to get something yeah. out of it. And they responded again, just like they did in Honduras. And so that's a really good thing. Um, but, man, I mean... Honestly, I, I just don't know yet what this team is going to be. Who are they? How good are they? You know, and and I, I'll, I'll take a, a second here and step back and let you go on this. But like, I think that's okay. You know, I think qualification is a rocky road. Rarely is it what Canada is going through right now, where things are clicking and you're happy and Charmed. everything's working. That goal that yeah. they scored, the first goal they scored, they won two nothing at El Salvador tonight. If you haven't seen it already, go watch the Atiba Hutchinson goal. I promise you, you have never seen a goal like it in your life. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just rarely like that in qualification. I think it usually, and in CONCACAF especially, it's usually a grind. And um, it's a grind right now. So <laughs> it's, it's a grind. like, I just, it's a don't, grind. I just don't know. Again, I'm not convinced yet one way or the mm-hmm. other about this team. Yeah. And, and, they're young, so that's that plays a big part of it too. They're super, super young. Like they're changing mm-hmm. every window. 
it's it's very you know it's just a very new different experience from other teams I've covered and um I I just don't have my finger completely on the pulse of like I I don't think they've shown us yet who they are yeah I would agree with that and and I think there are some more clear micro takeaways on specific players that we can that we can have from this match specific moments and we'll get into those in the next segment but you know just speaking to what you were just talking about i i largely agree you know i sort of wrote this after the canada game this team is still searching they don't know exactly who they are they don't know exactly who they want to be and i think it's kind of interesting we were talking about this a little bit when we were just waiting for the uber back to the hotel but in the gold cup it seemed like they had a clearer idea right and that was an MLS team. They didn't have Christian Pulisic. They didn't have Tyler Adams. They didn't have Weston McKenney, no Tim Weah, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that almost unburdens them in a way. They don't feel the pressure to go out and really play, right? And they can go kind of say, okay, we're going to be a transition team. We're going to be defensively sound. And we're going to try and hit you on the break. And if we can put together some possession and break you down with, with the ball, so much the better. But that isn't going to be our primary mode of play, right? That's not going to be our primary mode of breaking teams down. And I think that that clarity doesn't really exist with these with the quote unquote A team, right? Because they they want to get these talented players on the ball and they want to break teams down. But they've shown repeatedly when faced with a low block and an organized one, aka not one set up by Honduras. Uh, they can't do it. They've really had a hard time. Um, even the games where they have scored goals against teams that are kind of defending deep, I'm thinking of Costa Rica and Jamaica at home specifically, like those were transition moments that they were able to, to get their goals. And I I have the feeling that the, this A team, this qualifying squad with all of the good players and all the talented kids who are playing at Chelsea and Dortmund and Barcelona and Juventus and on and on and on, they haven't fully leaned into that identity. And I think that's, you know, part of that is the coach. Part of that part of that is understanding that that group has a ceiling, right? That the MLS group that was in the Gold Cup doesn't. And it's trying to maximize it. So I get why they're trying. But I, I, I don't know. This has been the tension to me with the national team for the entire Burhalter era of being something that maybe the player pool doesn't want you to be. It doesn't allow you to be. I mean, I agree with that. I also think that part of it is that all these pieces don't fit together as nicely as we want them to. You know, there are there are some real hard decisions that have to be made. And Greg Berhalter made one today to put Christian Pulisic on the bench. It's probably the right thing for what this team needed. And I think when you look at the wingers and the, the midfielders on this team, you know, maybe this team is at its best when Brendan Aronson and Tim Weah or what we saw against Jamaica and Austin, Paul Ariola and Brendan Aronson – are running and pressing and creating opportunities in transition, right? I think it was Tim Weah and Paul Ariola running and pressing and, and creating opportunities in transition better than they are to have Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna on the wings coming inside and combining and trying to play in those half spaces. And that's that's a hard idea to confront because you want Christian Pulisic on the field. You want Gio Reyna on the field. You want Weston McKinney and Eunice Musa on the field and Brandon Aronson and Tim Weah. And you can't have them all on the field. And and so I get that there's a conundrum there. And I, I think ultimately they're going to have to figure out who they are before Qatar. They're going to have to commit to it. And I think tournament play is completely different from something like 
the the octagonal, the ocho. But, you know, the goal right now is just to get to the World Cup. However, you, you can. And, and, and they're certainly on track. To do yeah, that. they're close. They're close. Yeah. So, Paul, I think let's take it to a break here. We'll come back afterwards. We'll, we'll zoom in a little bit more on it, some individual performances. Christian Pulisic, Luca De La Torre, a few others in the next segment. Stay with us. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Sam Stasekel and Paul Tenorio breaking down the U.S. Men's National Team World Cup qualifying win against Honduras. In Minnesota, Paul, we took the macro, big picture, zoomed out look in the opening segment. Let's let's zoom a little bit more in in this segment. You mentioned it already. Christian Pulisic came off the bench. That was, I would say, the biggest lineup decision that Greg Berhalter made for this match. But there were quite a few changes from what we saw in the Canada game and even the El Salvador match that started the window last week. Lineup: Matt Turner in goal, uh, Anthony Robinson getting his third straight start. Um, of qualifying or third straight start at the window at left back Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson in, in the folded center back Reggie Cannon getting the nod over Sergio Dest who was rotated out of the lineup at right back midfield we saw some big changes Tyler Adams was out with the injury that he picked up in Canada Kellen Acosta came in Weston McKenney remained Eunice Musa came out and Luca De La Torre came in more on him in a second and then up top Pulisic out Aronson out Weah and Jordan Morris, which was a big surprise, um, I would say, uh, in. And then up top, Ricardo Pepe finally getting the nod, completing the striker trifecta in these three games. All three of them got a start. 
Um, so, I mean, I think De La Torre was a standout. He was given man of the match by Berhalter. He spoke afterward as well. Um, what did you see from him today, Paul? I, I think I saw from Luca De La Torre what, what we have seen from him at the club level. He's very good at driving play forward with the ball at his foot, dribbling forward and pushing the game aggressively that way. And I thought he did a very good job against that, against the Honduras midfield, that Honduran midfield that, that was giving them space to do it, giving them space to turn and run. And he did that several times and, and pushed the game. And I think, you know, tried to create moments in tight spaces around the box where, you know, his preference was to try to slide that pass into Weston in the space versus to, to cut back and look at Kellen or look at Anthony or Walker and play backwards. Um, so I, I thought he was very efficient at, at doing that. I, I really liked him um, pretty much through the whole game. Uh, I, I just think the aggressive attack-minded play that he brought to the field was important, especially against an inferior opponent. And people love him. Sam, I tweeted, <laughs> Luca De La Torre has been good tonight. It has 1,429 likes right now. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> like, people love Luca Dillatore. I mean, to be fair, Paul, what an expansive and insightful tweet that that was. This is the kind of analysis you can expect from allocation disorder hosts, okay? Luca Dillatore is good tonight. <laughs> Paul it, is speaking good tonight. Too, I'm speaking good tonight. Luca Dillatore is playing good tonight. And, you know, the tweet is getting many likes tonight. That's, it, it's, that's for sure. You know, I again, I'm struggling with what I want to write, but like I think part of it is, you know, in these windows, we have seen these different players step up when given chances. You know, you go all the way back to September, Brendan Aronson was the guy who stepped up when given an opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, Walker Zimmerman in October stepped up when given an opportunity. Has continued to. And has, and has become the, the number one center back, I think, in the pool. Brendan uh -huh. Aronson has become a top, top choice winger. Although um, maybe not as top anymore. Sure, sure. But I think, you yeah. know, we we all talk differently about Brendan Aronson today than we did in September. In September, yeah. And and in this window, I think Luca De La Torre. Anthony Robinson has stepped up. So, mm -hmm. again, part of this is how young this pool is. We're learning who these guys are that will seize these moments, that will step into these roles and, and, and step up. Ricardo Pepe, given a chance to start in Honduras. It's a goal, two assists. Next game against Jamaica gets two goals. <clears throat> so, you know, we're learning about this group. And I think, you know, I think to me, Luca Dillatore made an argument to say, I deserve to be in the, in, on the roster. I deserve to be fighting Eunice Musa for a starting job. I deserve yeah, I mean, to be I think that's, in that's the, the rotation, right? He's in now, right? He had never started a game for the U.S. before tonight which is kind of wild. I think he had five caps and they had all been off the bench. He'd only been called up to one of the previous three qualifying windows. He only played, I think, 13 minutes in that window in one game uh, at home against Jamaica. He looked pretty good in that one, but for some reason, Berhalter didn't recall him in November and wasn't going to call him to this camp either. He was the last cut from basically what Berhalter said, and then Gianluca Busio unfortunately caught COVID and enter Luca de la Torre. He didn't dress for the first game against El Salvador. Didn't come off the bench against Canada. And here he is, given his first start for the senior national team. And he really thrived. Um, you described how he played. 
I mean, the thing that stood out to me the most is, is just kind of how quick and decisive he was with his actions. Um, I thought that was something that was missing, particularly on Sunday from the U.S. midfield. And I thought I thought he played with good tempo, um, that, you know, aggressive, the word you used. That was a good word. Not just for how he was playing, because he was mixing it up a little bit. You know, Minor Figueroa, there was a moment, I think it was in the first half, Minor Figueroa, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is huge veteran, emphasis on huge. The man is ripped. He is a big guy. Um, he left his foot in a little bit late on De La Torre, and De La Torre said something to him. They kind of had to be separated. <laughs> and, and there was another moment later in the match where something similar happened. Um, and after Sunday at Canada and the lack of confrontation that the U.S. lineup was showing, in those interactions that they were having with their counterparts to the north, that was really refreshing to see for me. Um, a guy with a little bit of nasty in him. I liked that. Um, so I thought he was really good. I think Kellen Acosta deserves mention. I want to say. set piece delivery. Too. Quickly. Yeah, go. Luca Dilatore not lacking for confidence. No, no. Uh, he said in his press conference, he's like, yeah, personally, I feel like I've deserved this opportunity for a long time. <laughs> and hey, can't knock the honesty. Like it. So, you know, we'll see how that plays with Coach Berhalter. Um, but, you know, the performance certainly played well. Kellen Acostafo, you wrote about this. This man, Paul Tenorio, he went back on Tuesday and he watched every single attacking set piece from the Ocho <laughs> that it's the U.S. 17 We're all taking. grinding and qualifying. We're all grinding. It's a real grind. He was, he was putting in the work. He was putting in the hours yesterday watching all these set pieces. Kellen Acosta is very good at delivering set pieces. He did well at them, you know, famously the Gold Cup final. He delivered free the kicks. winner. Free kicks. Corner kicks, free kicks are lacking, but his free kick delivery is Hey, they scored one off of they scored a goal off of one of his corners today. So um anyway, he delivered three set pieces today that ended up in goals. Not direct. A couple of them bounced around in the box, but but all three were good deliveries. Um and that's something that's really been missing. The U.S. had not scored a set-piece goal in qualifying prior to tonight. And they got three tonight. Um, so we'll see if that kind of opens the floodgates. Obviously, Acosta is not a starter when Tyler Adams is healthy. So that delivery goes away. What did you make of his performance? What did you make of his delivery? How do you think or can, can the U.S. carry this forward when he's not on the field? Yeah, well, first of all, I think it was the best performance we've seen from Kellen Acosta as a starter in this cycle. You know, he he had some rough performances as a starter at the number six earlier in the cycle. After after um, a really good Gold Cup. Yeah, and um, I was concerned because they needed him to be able to step up. And today, I think you can see what he can do, especially when you have time and space. Everyone looks good with time and space. But he was spraying some passes from the deeper position, looking to hit some of those longer diagonals, which when you give a number six that type of time and space in Greg Berhalter's system, that's what he wants for his number six. In the first half, Honduras gave him that space. He was playing those long diagonals. It really plays well into what Greg Berhalter's teams like to do. Second half, they tried to get pushed a little bit onto Kellen a little bit more to prevent those those passes from happening. But overall, I thought it was a good performance. And and look, when I watched those set pieces back, the whole reason I win initially, I thought Christian Pulisic, um, his corner kicks maybe were not great. What I what I noticed were his free kicks weren't great, but his corner kicks were actually pretty good service. Like almost, you know, almost every single one was hitting the spots he wanted to hit. 
So the U.S. had its chances. You know, they, they were getting good service on, on set pieces and just weren't converting. And there were some really, really clear chances. Like Miles Robinson, eight minutes into this World Cup qualifications cycle, should have given yeah. the U.S. a one nothing lead in El Salvador. Weston McKenney on That Sunday. might have been a three-point miss. Weston yeah. McKenney in Canada, amazing save from Borjan. That could have been a one-point save. So there, those moments have been there, and you, you realize how important set pieces are when – when you come that close and you can't finish them. But aside from those big ones, they had other little chances where the service was there and they couldn't get that header on target. They couldn't they couldn't direct it right on goal. And so I thought this was big just to get that confidence, you know, to get to get that flow going. Because this, you know, this is a team that when they when they want to be can be really dangerous on set pieces. They they did it in the Nations League, they did it in the Gold Cup. And, you know, finally they got it in World Cup qualifying. So uh, I yeah. thought an important development out of this game. Absolutely. Especially for a team whose chances has been, have been in a premium in possession. Right? You need to get them wherever you can. And if you can connect on set pieces like they're capable of, like they're capable of getting on the end of, well, then that's good. So hopefully the good service continues on that front. Walker Zimmerman, another good match. You You mentioned him briefly, you know. Our, our buddy Michele Giannone from Univision, he, he keeps calling him CB1. Um, <laughs> little play on QB1 there. Uh, he ain't wrong, though. Talk about expansive tweets. Michele was so impressed in the first half that he took his gloves off. <laughs> he just loves saying CB1. Sub-zero temperatures to, to tweet CB1 Walker Zimmerman. I had to I had to give him a hard time for that. <laughs> but he was good again tonight. Um, Anthony Robinson was solid again. You know, they didn't have a lot of defense. Those guys, to be fair, so there there wasn't much going on. Miles Robinson, you know, he'll be able to be a little bit more confident after this performance, following the struggles that he had in Canada. Um, so that was good to see. I thought Weston McKenney was pretty good tonight too. You know, a lot of people praised him for his performances earlier in the window. I was lower on him than most people were. I thought against Canada, he was positionally all over the place, and he had some good individual moments. He had some good dribbles, good actions where he's beating different guys on Canada. But I thought. The fact that he was popping up in so many places was hurting the U.S. balance and hurting their ability on the ball. Um, tonight, whether it be because of increased discipline or whether it be because he was cold and waddling around like a penguin, um, which it was pretty funny to watch him at times. I'm not trying to knock him. It was very, very cold out there. But I think Weston was the most obviously affected by it in terms of his running. <laughs> it was like he looked the most cold, followed by Matt Turner. And Matt Turner wrapped himself in a blanket during the game. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, good way to describe it. Um, I thought he was good. Uh, we talked about Luca De La Torre already. Um, the wingers, you know, Tim Wayne, Jordan Morris, not, not super involved, if we're being honest. Um, I did like, though, that there was clarity with how they were playing. Right? It was simple. And the simplicity came in verticality. They were stretching the back line. And it was easy for everyone to kind of fill in around them in ways that, frankly, it hasn't been when Pulisic has been out there. Uh, and then lastly, Ricardo Pepe didn't get a ton of service, but really didn't do much either. Seemed to break his nose, according to his Instagram. <laughs> so that's a tough blow. Um, but... Yeah, I'm sure he was hoping for a little bit more just in terms of his activity. Not that it's really his fault that he wasn't getting the ball too much, but I'm sure he was hoping for a little bit more in this opportunity for him. Well, well let's let's go to the big thing here, Christian Pulisic. Well, why don't you hold that thought, and why don't we go to a break, 
talk about him in the final segment. You're the boss. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We are back here in colder Minneapolis. It is colder than it was at kickoff. Sam, by the time I get my Uber in five and a half hours, as terrible <laughs> as that is to say it because I'm not done writing yet, it's going to be negative 12 degrees. It's a, good thing this match, it's a good thing this match was Wednesday and not Thursday because it yeah. would have been colder on Thursday. would have been colder on Thursday. Um, maybe not as cold as this window was for Christian Pulisic up until his appearance today. The most shocking decision that Greg Berhalter made Christian Pulisic on the bench, and it wasn't a an injury concern. It wasn't a cold concern. Greg Berhalter said after the game, you know, we felt like this was the best decision to put Christian in a place to be successful and to put our team in a place to be successful. What did you think about that answer? What did you think about that decision? What did you think about Christian Pulisic's response? Well, you asked me a lot of questions. Just that. So let me go through them one at a time. Um, first of all, it's super weird, just in a very big zoomed out macro sense, that the guy who is 23 years old and was bought for however, whatever, 65, $70 million by Chelsea a couple of years ago and knocked out Real Madrid in the Champions League semifinals and helped his team win the Champions League just last year, um, is better off the bench for the U.S. national team? Maybe. It's weird, Paul. His best two games of qualifying were tonight and against Mexico. Yeah. What do those what do those two games have in common? He was a substitute in both of them. Yep. It's bizarre. And I think I don't know. I think it's time that we have a conversation, Paul. Is the US men's national team better when Christian Pulisic doesn't start? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's a, a matter of whether the US national team's better or whether Christian Pulisic is better suited almost like it's like it, it it almost feels like it removes pressure and i think what's happening right now is that christian is suffering from the pressures he's feeling at the club level the pressures he's feeling to be to be the star that he doesn't want to be but is kind of has been forced to be and he's not comfortable he's not confident and so it's almost like when he comes off the bench the game is already happening. There's no expectation for him to carry them. And he just kind of comes in and things happen. Like Didn't he, he seem so much more free yeah, than he, he did in he the first two in, games of this window? He came in and he just was, was playing and the ball fell fell down at his feet and he scored. Like it was like and that kind of is how it went for Mexico. Like he was on for how many minutes against Mexico before he scored the goal? Was it, first wasn't touch, it his wasn't first it? touch? Yeah. yeah and I think touch. this goal was his second touch. So yeah. There is something 
you know, to be said for that level of comfort. Do I think that ultimately in the long term, the U.S. is better with Christian coming off the bench versus starting? No, I think there has to be, I think the goal is to find a way to make Christian comfortable and fit well in your system from the start. But in this window for this game, I think it was the right decision. I think he needed something to kind of give him a chance to take a breath. And, you know, that breath allowed him to make an impact on this game. And we'll see what it means going forward. But, you know, I've mentioned this idea now a few times, I think, just on this show. I know I've mentioned it in the past as well. The U.S. obviously has a higher ceiling as a team if Christian Pulisic is playing and playing well. I think that's factual, right? But him playing well hasn't really been something that they've been able to figure out. And so for the time being, you know, I keep saying it, this team is better when they just play with straight-ahead wingers. We've seen it throughout this entire cycle. The games when they just play with two straight-ahead wingers, they've been better at Every single one of them. Some of that's due to opponent, right? And I get that. Um, but, you know, Mexico at home, toughest team he faced. Well, except for maybe Canada. Actually, not maybe, except for Canada. It's weird to say, but I did it. Um, it you know, that was one of the better games the U.S. played. And Pulisic didn't start that one. I think it was it was Wea and Aronson, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, yeah. And... And, and I don't know. I think it just it just simplifies things for the rest of the team, and it allows them to kind of lean into that identity a little bit more. Of okay, we're going to be pressing, we're going to be transition, and we're going to go. And I don't think they can lean into that as much with Christian on the field, or at least they haven't. They can. They're capable of it, and he's capable of playing that way. It's just you know the ceiling thing. No, I, I think it's. I, I'm interested to see. And I think it should be considered the idea of bringing Christian inside, you know. And and we 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 talked about this. We wrote we put it in, in our, our lineup predicted piece. lineup. Yeah. And I, the reason I think that is because you, I agree with you that this team creates and generates more chances sometimes by by playing a high press by by pushing its wingers high up the field, trying to create turnovers, trying to create havoc, and then transitioning quickly and. I think that that's not – no, I don't think. That is not Christian Pulisic's strength. And, and, but I think you can do that with him on the field, and I think he can benefit from it. You know, if he's picking up the ball near the box in transition moments, he's maybe got a little bit more space. He's got a chance to make something happen. So I, I wouldn't be shocked to see at some point a little bit of experimentation, maybe in the Nations League this – Summer, if the U.S. qualifies, if they take care of business in March, maybe they try that out. Take a look and see. And maybe we go Wea and Aronson or Morris and Wea or whatever whatever wingers you want. Areola. All Areola, yeah. And we bring Christian inside and we play some version of a 4-2-3-1 or however you want to look at it, 4-1-4-1, that that could be something you do. The dilemma is you're probably in that formation taking two very good players off the field in, you know, a Eunice Musa and potentially a Gio Reyna. So that's the trade-off. But again, at some point, we talked about it at the beginning of this show, you're not going to be able to get them all on the field at the same time. And you've got and that's a that's ultimately a good dilemma to have. But I think it's something that's gonna have to be thought through and considered because I I do think 
as you said, that this team might be better with those wingers that are a little bit more vertical oriented, a little more straight line, a little bit more willing to press and create opportunities through pressing. It's interesting because they don't have a lot of time to figure it out realistically. You know, Gia Reyna hasn't been with the team essentially for all of qualifying. Played the first game at El Salvador and that was it. It looks like he'll be available for Dortmund this weekend in their match. Um, so, you know, barring something new happening, he'll probably be healthy enough to come to the U.S. in March. Right? Will he be informed? Will he be called in? Who knows? Um, but beyond that, you've got Nations League in June and September. I don't know if there are other windows in between off the top of my head. But, you know, you're going to the World Cup in November. There's not going to be a ton of time to tinker or train or implement new systems or integrate new players, essentially, in Gio Reyna um, for all intents and purposes. Um, so it, it's going to be hard to really, like, design and build and, and create something new, right? Which, again, is why I'm going back to this straight line, vertical wingers. It's an easy thing to play. It's an easy thing to teach. It's not that complicated. Everyone can do it. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but Burhalter doesn't have a lot of time with, left with these guys before Qatar, assuming they do take care of business and qualify. So, I don't know. Um, I'm very curious to see how it goes, but there's not a lot of not a lot of wiggle room. Yeah, I, it'll be an interesting decision to make. I think it's something worth looking at. And and you know, maybe it's what unlocks your best player. Maybe it, you know, maybe it unlocks the team in general. Maybe it yeah. takes the strength of a team that we've seen, and it allows you to have Christian on the field in an in, a, in an effective way as well, which wouldn't yeah. be a bad thing. No, not at all, um, Paul. I don't know if you have anything more on on tonight or the individual players. I think it's worth just kind of breaking down what the scenarios are moving forward here. Um, you were kind of doing some math earlier. Um, I think I'm a little more comfortable with you doing it than me doing it. So why don't you take it away? What needs to happen? What are the scenarios for the Mexico match and clinching there and for the Panama game, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, so the U.S. can can book a trip to Qatar with a win at the Azteca. They need some help. You know, they need Panama to lose at home to Honduras. So not a great matchup there for them. And they need Costa Rica no. to lose or draw at home to Canada, which is more possible. So a win with those two results would send the U.S. national team to Qatar. I'm just going to say it. That's not happening. It's very unlikely to happen. Panama is not going to lose at home to Honduras. But no there, there are some more likely scenarios that I think are, are possible that would send the U.S. to Qatar ahead of or right around that Panama game, which it, it's really about... If you win at home against Panama and get a point in either of your other two games, or if you win at home against Panama and Costa Rica loses or draws once in any of their next three games, you're in. I think that's the most likely scenario. Take care of business at home against Panama and hope that Costa Rica drops points at home against Canada, drops points at home against you, or drops Drops points points on the road. On the road. So At El Salvador. Right. So... That that's the most realistic route or the easiest route, I would say. Um, what you know, they're not there yet. You know, they they the U.S. has to get results still, and we learned in 2017 that you can't count on anything. You have to yep. step up and still go and deliver the results. Um, but certainly, 
I think things have fallen into place better for the U.S. other than the Ticos winning in Jamaica. That Costa Rica, man, on a dream run right now, Paul. Your boys, and 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 on that note, I think it's worth outlining kind of the doomsday scenario for the U.S. Sure, right, which is losing at Mexico, Costa Rica winning against Canada, and then the U.S. wins at home against Panama. Costa Rica wins on the road at El Salvador, who at that point, they might already be, in fact, eliminated from contention. Not quite yet, but close. Um, If that happens, if Costa Rica wins those two matches and the U.S. goes one and one in theirs, that final match in in San Jose, a traditional house of absolute horrors for the U.S. men's national team, the U.S. would have to win or draw in order to get a top three spot. A loss would probably see them finish fourth at that point. So you'd still be going to the international playoff. You wouldn't be completely out of it. It wouldn't be the end of the world. You just have to go to Qatar for a one-off match, likely against New Zealand in June. Um, so that's that's the tricky scenario. If you're a U.S. men's national team fan, basically just root for Costa Rica to lose or draw one of its first two games. And then things become a lot more simpler. And there might be a nice big party in Paul Tenorio's hometown of Orlando, Florida on March 27th. (laughs) There could be a party in multiple of my hometown, not my hometowns. Could be in Orlando. Could be in San Jose, Costa Rica on that last day. You know, I could be leaving the stadium and going to meet up with the Tenorio clan over in San Pedro and, 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 you know, enjoy the, enjoy the night with them. I don't know. Well, I mean, if if it comes down to a winner take all or winner slash draw take all in on that March thirtieth match, there's going to be a party one way or another in San Jose. So you know that will that will certainly be interesting. I don't know what that would do for your personal stress levels. Um, Wouldn't I be think good. the what the ideal situation for you is is maybe U.S. clinches qualification the twenty seventh, and then Costa Rica can can play for it all on the thirtieth. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the ideal situation for for me and for my household is. U.S. goes to Qatar, which means I get to go to Qatar professionally, and Costa Rica gets a chance to 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 get that fourth place spot and and go as well. There you go. Um, All right. Well, we'll see if that happens. But if you like Paul, then root for that outcome. Um, <laughs> if you don't, then whatever. Root for whatever you want. Um, but if you've made it this far into the show, you probably like him. Hopefully, you like me too. I don't know. I can be a little bit more objectionable than objectionable than he can. So you know, whatever. We'll see. Anyway, thank you for listening to Allocation Disorder. Thanks for riding along with us through this window. I will be back next week. Paul, I think you're back on paternity leave, so you probably won't be. Um, but, you know, I'll be back with somebody next Thursday, back on the normal schedule. And then Paul will be back in the regular rotation not too long thereafter. Um, but thanks again for sticking with us. We appreciate you guys. I'm Sam. He's Paul. This has been Allocation Disorder.